You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Of all the animals, camels have been one of man's most faithful companions. For thousands of years, they've walked with us across treacherous deserts, along historic trade routes, and on epic nomadic journeys. But is there still a place in our modern world for this ancient animal? We'll follow the footsteps of the camels, past and present, on a voyage across three continents. Along the way, we'll discover stories of people and their camels beyond the Thousand and One Nights. Oh, well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul, it is 2019, and I am still not an animal expert. Oh, I'm Donna, and I tried all over the holiday break to become an animal expert, and I have uh, failed. Didn't work, did it? Yeah. Oh, well, we'll keep trying. That's okay. But we learned a whole bunch about animals, and I am going to talk about them today with you. We're talking about camos today. Sure are. But we'll do that right after the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Cow milk is one of the top eight food allergens in the Western world. Allergic reactions to milk proteins can cause digestive pain, rashes, and trouble breathing. 37% of people 10 years of age and over in Western countries are lactose intolerant, and that includes me and my daughter. We are unable to break down the sugar in milk with our guts, and that has some very unpleasant side effects. We can substitute dairy with almond, coconut, and soy products, but they just don't taste as good and they're just not as nutritious. Well, good news if you are in the United States. A Saudi Arabian entrepreneur and some Amish and Mennonite farmers have joined forces to bring camel milk and other dairy products to supermarkets. Camel milk is described as slightly sweeter and saltier than cow milk. It also doesn't contain whey proteins that trigger milk allergies. Bedouin tribes in the Middle East, where lactose intolerance is very, very common, have been drinking camel milk for thousands of years without any problems. Amish and Mennonite farmers breed and sell most of the camels in the United States. Buying a camel from them will run you about $25,000. Good heavens. Yeah. They also lease camels to zoos and churches, which use them for nativity scenes for up to $1,200 a month. Once these communities were shown that camel products were profitable and that the equipment that they were using to milk cows with could be used on the camels without any alteration, they were convinced to try it out. A company called Desert Farms in the United States was granted a USDA license to sell camel milk commercially, and they sell about 630 gallons or 2,400 liters of milk every week. Camel milk can also be used to make butter or yogurt, but it doesn't coagulate easily, so it is not suitable for cheese. 
Generally, people who are lactose intolerant, like I am, can handle goat cheese or sheep cheese, which is readily available everywhere. So, yeah, having having options that are non-dairy is very, very nice. Hmm, That's really cool. Yeah. Camel milk. Camel milk. I think I'll have some camel milk on my Cheerios this morning. I'd I'd go for it. <laughs> we'll have to look into that and try it out and see a uh, report back and and let let the varm minions know how it tasted. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, if you guys have tasted it, let us know. So just a reminder: go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at at Varmint's Podcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. I also run a Pinterest board for each episode, so go ahead over to Pinterest and put Varmint's into the search engine. You'll find us. There's also a link on the bottom of the show notes to that. And if you want Varmint's merchandise, go over to tpublic.com and put Varmint's in their search engine, and you will find all sorts of wonderful stuff. Mugs and tote bags and t-shirts and all kinds of stuff. If you like the show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast? We are everywhere that podcasts are found, and word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow, so... And we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters, Clay, Christy, Nikki, Katie, Christine, Adrian, and John. They pledge money to our show through Patreon so that we can pay for hosting and send out stickers and magnets and have fun with our listeners. You can pledge any amount, but if you pledge at the $25 a month like Clay Groves does, we will promote your band, podcast, Etsy page, book, whatever. Patreon.com slash varmints, and we are going to learn about camels. Hey, let's go get educated on some animals. I know you want (laughs) to. So we're talking about camels today. Camels are even-toed ungulates like other animals we've talked about on the show before. Pigs, hippopotamuses, deer, llamas, alpacas, giraffes, and goats are other examples of even-toed ungulates. Camels are large mammals with very long legs and long necks. Their bodies are covered in tan, brown, and black fur, and they have very distinctive humps on their backs. There are three surviving species of camel in the world. The one-humped dromedary makes up about 94% of the world's camel population, and they are native to North Africa, the Middle East, and part of Asia. The two-humped Bactrian camel and the wild Bactrian camel make up the remainder, and they are native to the Middle East and Asia. A full-grown adult camel stands 6 feet or 1.9 meters at the shoulder and over 7 feet tall at the hump. Bactrian camels can weigh up to 1,000 kilograms or over 1 ton. Dromedaries are a little bit smaller. A full-grown dromedary is only about 600 kilograms or 1,320 pounds. They're little. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's really small. (laughs) Yeah. Males are called bulls, females are called cows, and babies are called calves. No, babies are called, oh, baby camels. Baby camels are so cute. They have long eyelashes and they're just adorable. Camels have been domesticated for thousands of years. The word dromedary comes from Greek dromos camelos, which means running camel, because these animals were bred and trained for use as a saddle animal. 
Bactrian refers to an ancient region called Bactria in what is now northwest Afghanistan. Ah. The word camel seems to come from the Arabic word Jamal or Jamil, and that word has two different meanings. One is to bear, like to carry weight, and the other meaning is beautiful. We're going to get into that a little later. Yeah. Here is what a camel sounds like. Do you know what a camel sounds like? Have you ever heard? I'm sure I have because we have them at our zoo, but I couldn't tell you. Do they go, meh? Oh, (laughs) it's terrible. No, here's about 20 seconds of a, a group of two or three camels. I don't know how many, but here we what go. Are they? Okay. <laughs> well, I was close, but you know. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Just a fun little fact. In the first two Doom video games, camel sounds were actually used as the death sounds for the demons and the monsters in the game. Oh, how about that? (laughs) When you're a kid, you're told that camels drink a lot of water and you, you know, you learn that they store it in their humps, which is wrong. Yeah. Camel humps are filled with fat. Fat does get converted into water during the metabolism process, but camels still lose a a lot of water through their lungs. So processing the fat actually results in less water than there was before. The water a camel drinks is actually stored in their blood and cells and other places where there are already fluids. The reason we would die in the desert and camels live is that camels have become incredibly efficient with the way they use the water that's in their bodies. So when a camel needs water, their body's first response is not to drink, but to get water from all the fluid parts of the body that are not the bloodstream. So this allows their blood to keep flowing even when they are relatively dehydrated. Most mammals will experience cardiac failure and die when they've lost about 12% of their body weight due to water loss. A camel can withstand a 25% weight decrease from water loss, and it isn't until they start getting close to that level that the water and the blood supply starts getting used. So sweating is a real danger to humans and other mammals outdoors. Camels' body temperatures range from 93 degrees to 106 degrees Fahrenheit, which could be deadly for us. Depending on the ambient temperature and how hard they are working, a camel might not lose any water to perspiration at all. Another way a camel retains water is just by breathing. So during the nighttime, outside temperatures are usually lower than the camel's core body temperature. When the camel inhales the cool outside air, that passes through the camel's warm nasal passages. Inside the camel's lungs, the air is at body temperature and the humidity is 100%, so fully saturated with water. When a camel exhales, that warm air passes over the nasal passages, it cools down, and it condensates in the inside of the nose as liquid water. Which, when we think of our human noses, doesn't sound like all that much. The human nasal cavity has a total surface area of around 160 square centimeters. I have a big nose, so it's probably more. Camels have more than 1,000 square centimeters of surface area in their noses. So all that water just goes right back into their, their bodies, and they can stay hydrated. Nice. A couple of fun facts. A severely dehydrated camel's urine turns into a honey-like syrup to preserve the water in it, 
And when that camel, uh, that dehydrated camel gets near water, it can drink up to 200 liters of water in 10 minutes. Holy, holy mackerel. Yes, that's 10 two-liter bottles of soda every minute. Man. Another little fun (laughs) fact is that a camel's poop comes out bone dry. And actually, the people that travel around with camels will save that poop, and it helps them burn. Uh, it helps them make fires. It's like kindling for fire. Yeah, cool. Yeah. 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 Camel poop fire. Interesting. <laughs> well, you want to know another way that they help to get that water in there? You mentioned their their that it's stored in their blood cells, but I can tell you why. Please. So at least for the dromedary camel, the red blood cells in that animal protect it from dehydration because the blood cells are oval-shaped and they can circulate even in thick blood and significantly expand during rehydration. I have a little chart that I made that I'll put in the show notes, but I put it into to our Slack for you to look at, Paul, so you should probably refer to that while I'm talking about this. I'm looking at Go it. Go ahead and take a look. So the dromedary camel is really well adapted to hot, arid climates, and it can go for days without drinking water, as we just said, but it can safely lose 40% of its body weight in water, and this ability is in part due to the uniquely oval red blood cells, which carry oxygen. So the long axis of these oval cells is oriented with the flow of the blood, enabling the cells to cross over the smallest of blood vessels even when the blood thickens during times of dehydration. So that's useful. Oh, yeah. And then additionally, the camel's red blood cells are capable of expanding up to 240% of their original volume without rupturing. And most animal cells can only expand by about 150%. So this makes it possible for the camel to drink the huge amounts of water that it needs to recover from dehydration. So you should look at that little chart. Imagine that the small blood cell, the unhydrated blood cell on the left side, I mean, it has water in it, it's just regular size. That's about the width of a penny, okay? Okay. If you blow it up the cam if you can look on the chart how many times it's it's more than two times the size of a regular mammal blood cell when oh yeah it's huge yeah yeah and it's way bigger and of course all animals have different size cells and stuff but just in general it's about 240 percent it's more than two times as much water as we can expand into our cells so yeah wow pretty amazing very amazing yeah That was just all I had, but I wanted to add that. That was a pretty cool little thing. That's awesome. Basically, when you're you're dehydrated, the viscosity of your blood uh, increases, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Or or it decreases. It gets all sludgy, right? So the way those cells are shaped, it's just easier for them to get through the thicker blood when the animal's dehydrated. And it stores more water, so... That is so interesting. Yeah, two prongs. I... Two pronged attack on dehydration. <laughs> I always wondered how giant furry animals could live in the desert and and be okay, but it's so now I know. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Disclaimer time. The Farmers Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then, Don and Paul only have the yardstick of themselves, so they're going to do it anyway. 
So our dumb little arbitrary intelligence rating on a scale of 1 to 10. I don't remember what we gave horses. So whatever we gave horses, I think we'll give, I, I'll give camels because they seem to be pretty smart. Like, you know. Yeah, I wasn't able to find anything that was particularly definitive. Everybody seems to say they're smarter than you think they are. <laughs> yeah. On Reddit, there was a, a question and answer with a camel tourism operator. And he said camels are very intelligent. A great example of this is that they are known to premeditate revenge. They will kick you one day and you'll think, what the heck was that for? And then you'll remember two weeks ago when they were being stubborn and you gave them a clip on the ear. So they're, they remember. They're they like, remember. you messed with me. I'm going to take my revenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't remember what we gave horses either. I don't know. Five, yeah. six, somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah, probably something like that. Yeah. Our buddy Toph over at the Gravity Beard podcast, he wanted to know, this was back when we did the episode about moose. Mooses. Ah, Moosen. Uh, Moosen, yeah. Moosen. <laughs> he asked, which animal is meaner, a camel or a moose? I think I they're both pretty dangerous. probably a moose. Probably a moose. Yeah. I wouldn't mess with either one of them. No. Yeah. But I mean, camels are at least somewhat tractable because they are domestic as well as wild, right? So. Right. Oh, yeah, you can't really tame a moose, can you? I don't think you could. I think it would be difficult. Maybe you could. I don't know. But I think they're awfully stubborn. So. <laughs> All right, Toph, there's your answer. Moose. Yeah. We don't really know, but we think it's the moose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to talk about camels and pop culture and a couple other things, but we're going to do that right after this. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut. Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. A podcast. It is a podcast. Cast off homemade cassettes, celebrities' old typewriters, Barry Manilow memorabilia. People collect all kinds of interesting and unusual things. And the podcast for keeps collects the stories of these passionate and sometimes record-setting collectors. Join me, David Peterkovsky, as I have in-depth but lighthearted conversations with some of the world's most enthusiastic collectors to learn more about their stupendous stashes. Collectors make the world a little more interesting, and for keeps, happily and humorously shares their obsessions with the masses. To check out For Keeps, look for it wherever you get your podcasts, or visit forkeepspodcast.com. Well, this here's animal rancher and expert at large, Cotton Shorts. You know Paul and Don are just a couple of nerds like you, and they don't usually get to see animals in the wild, but so we'll talk about where they usually do get to see them, which is to say on popular culture, books, movies, television, and video games. So the track that we open the show with is from a documentary called Ships of the Desert. Very, very good documentary about camels. We'll put the link for that in the show notes. Do go check that out. I am going to talk about tracks. So in 1977, 
Robin Davidson traveled from Alice Springs across 2,700 kilometers or 1,700 miles of Australian deserts to the Indian Ocean with her dog and four camels. National Geographic photographer Rick Smolin documented her journey, and she wrote a memoir about it called Tracks. When she was 25 years old, she gave up her studies of Japanese language and culture at a university in Brisbane and began planning her expedition. Donna will talk about how and why there are camels in Australia in a few minutes. But she spent nearly a year training camels, and she started her adventure in early April 1977 with a mature gelded male called Dookie, a younger gelding called Bub, a female called Zelly, and her calf called Goliath. <laughs> so I'm not going to spoil it for you by telling you how it all turns out, so we'll let you go find the memoir at your local library, or you can watch the film adaptation of that book, also called Tracks, that came out in 2013. Neat! And so I'm writing to you in the hope that your magazine will sponsor my trip. I believe National Geographic to be of the highest international repute. The trip will take me through some of the most beautiful and barren country the desert can show. I'm enclosing a map of my proposed route from Alice Springs to Ayers Rock, then on through the Western Desert to the Indian Ocean. I have three camels and one small calf, trained and ready to go. They are perfectly reliable beasts. Their names are Dookie, Bob, Sally, and baby Goliath. I am well aware of the hardship I will be facing, and the first to admit I am remarkably unqualified for such a hazardous undertaking. This is precisely the point of my journey. I'd like to think an ordinary person is capable of anything. I look forward to hearing from you in the near future. Yours faithfully, Robin Davidson. So in the film, Mia Wasikowski portrays Robin Davidson and Adam Driver is Brick Smolin, the photographer. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Robin Davidson, who is still alive, was consulted in person by the director even before they got the rights to the book. So they gave her the script to read, and she gave the project her blessing. Rick Smolin, the photographer, he also approved. The director said they were always very supportive and very happy with the film. We took liberties here and there, and they accepted the liberties as abstractions of their own truth. Adam Driver also said that the camels were very friendly and agreeable and easy to work with and just a pleasure to have around. So they were, they were oh, nice camels. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I like Adam Driver. He's really... I've seen him in some other stuff other than Star Wars, and he's got some range. That guy is really good. So. Yeah, he's really good. He's really good in this movie, too. I watched it on Netflix a couple years ago. It's not there anymore, not at the moment, uh, but you can buy or rent tracks on Amazon Prime or several other online streaming things. If you can't find the film, just go down to your local library and pick up a copy of the memoir. It's really, really good. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, we're going to switch it up a little bit and talk about, have you ever heard of a camel beauty contest? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> well, this has got to be one of the weirdest pop culture things I've ever looked at. <laughs> In Saudi Arabia, every year, 
there is apparently a beauty pageant for camels. This article that I found was from January in 2018, so early, early last year. A dozen camels were disqualified from the Saudi beauty pageant over Botox injections. Dun, what? Dun, dun. <laughs> no. Yeah. Stop. The article says some of the pageant contestants hit a hump in the road this week. Ha, 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 ha. Oh. That is a camel beauty contest in Saudi Arabia disqualified a dozen camels for receiving Botox injections to make them more attractive. The Saudi media reported that a veterinarian was caught performing the plastic surgery thing on camels a few days before the pageant, and be according to the United Arab Emirates, The National. In addition to the injections, they were surgically reducing the size of the animal's ears to make them appear more delicate. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Don't do that. A regular at the festivals, Ali al-Mazrui, said they use Botox for the lips, the nose, the upper lips, the lower lips, and even the jaw. And it makes the head more inflated, so the cam- when the camel comes, it's like, oh, look how big that head is. It has a big lips and a big nose. Real money is at stake here. About $57 million is awarded to the winners of the contest in- and the camel races. What? With more than $31.8 million of the prizes just for the pageants. Whoa. This festival provides a number of informative graphics about camels. <laughs> including a diagram titled Standards of Camel Beauty. <laughs> <laughs> it is sadly unspecific about what makes for handsome nostrils and withers, although it does mention a leathery mouth. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. But the standards of camel beauty can include stuff like delicate ears and long lips. Among the regulations about the age, breeding, and teething of the dromedaries, the contest rules say, in case of fraud, to change the natural form of the participating camels, the participant shall be excluded immediately, with violators banned from the year's contest and the next five sessions of the festival, along with possible legal penalties for violating the kingdom's animal welfare laws. Whoa. You could get in big trouble. Yeah, man, that is serious business. One camel owner, Ali Obeid, told the National that the cheaters get creative to get an edge <laughs> and will alter the animal's appearance for months before it's sold to a buyer. So you have to be really careful. Caveat emptor, people. He said, for example, they pull the lips of the camel. They pull it by hand like this every day to make it longer. Secondly, they use hormones to make it more muscular, and Botox oh. makes the head bigger and bigger. Oh, Everyone no. wants to be a winner, and they're willing to cheat. So, oh no! The beauty contest, which is launched, was launched in 2000, is the centerpiece of the King Abdulaziz Camel Festival. So, in 2017, the authorities moved the festival from a remote location in the desert to a site an hour and a half from Riyadh. And 2018's attendance was increased by one-third. So this is a really, really popular event. Yeah, wow. Uh, one of the judges on the show, a guy called Fauzan Al-Mahdi, told Newswire that the camel is a symbol of Saudi Arabia, and they used to preserve it out of necessity, but now they preserve it as a pastime. So everybody loves this show, and you should not cheat. Don't cheat in your no. camel beauty contest. No, be nice to animals. Be nice to camels. I'm just picturing camels walking up and down a runway with, like, feather boas and lipstick on and 
Well, you know? they have some cameliers, uh, which I think was what they're called, the camel handlers, cameliers. They have cameliers that are sort of leading the herd of camels across the desert for everybody to look at them in the beauty pageant. And they're so <laughs> cute. The camels look really happy. They're like, we're walking. We don't know what we're doing, but we like it. <laughs> oh, they're that an awfully great. smiley little animal, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're not a little animal. They're a huge animal, but they're so smiling. They're really beautiful. They are a beautiful animal. They are. These these ones are white, white camels in this beauty contest, and they're gorgeous. I'll put pictures when I do the link to the article but uh, in the show notes. But yeah, really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the camel beauty pageant. Mummy, what's for dinner? It's the elbow of a snake. <laughs> Mummy, I can't eat that. Well, would you eat that? <laughs> <laughs> the elbow of a snake. Uh, what would you rather eat? The elbow of a snake or camel? Camel. Well, meat. probably camel because snakes don't have elbows. Yeah, course, probably. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I think sure. I think it's a common thing that they eat in the Middle East. I'm sure they eat camel. I have no idea, but I would eat it. Sure, why not? I would eat it too. Why It'd not? Probably be good. Yep. And then the whole camel milk thing. I'm I'm totally down to try I'm on that. Board. Okay. Oh yeah, definitely. All right. I was on board with the whole camel thing. Yeah. So, well, so are you. It's in your food box too. It sounds like. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I sure. Why not? <laughs> okay. Mama always said that ponies can't dream. Yeah, well, I heard that dogs are made of rope. <laughs> Our animalologists have been working tirelessly at your local library to combat misinformation and bring you this edition of Animal Fact of the Week. Nice. <laughs> so, in the 1830s, when American pioneers and settlers were moving out west... Uh, the inhospitable terrain and the climate was a huge challenge, particularly in the southwest where there's a lot of deserts, mountains, impassable rivers. It was really hard for men or animals to cross. In 1836, Army Lieutenant George Crossman sent a report to Washington that said, For strength in carrying burdens, for patient endurance of labor, and privation of food, water, and rest, and in some respects speed also, the camel and dromedary, as the Arabian camel is called, are unrivaled among animals. The ordinary loads for animals are from seven to 900 pounds each, and with these they can travel from 30 to 40 miles a day for many days in succession. They will go without water, and with but little food for six or eight days, or it is said even longer. Their feet are alike well-suited for traversing grassy or sanding plains, or rough rocky hills and paths, and they require no shoeing. He wasn't wrong, but the War Department disregarded his report. They said no. But this idea stuck with Crossman. And in 1847, Crossman, who was now a major, met up with another major called Henry Wayne, and he was also a camel enthusiast. Major Wayne submitted his own report to the War Department, recommending the importation and use of camels for westward expansion. This caught the attention of Senator Jefferson Davis of Mississippi, who tried for several years to acquire approving and funding for this project. He was, he was all for it. When Davis was appointed Secretary of War, he was able to present the idea of importing camels to the president 
and the Congress who were kind of skeptical. He said, I again invite attention to the advantages to be anticipated from the use of camels and dromedaries for military and other purposes, and for reasons set forth in my last annual report, recommend that an appropriation be made to introduce a small number of the several varieties of this animal to test their adaptation to our country. In 1855, Congress gave Davis $30,000 to purchase and import camels for military purposes. Nice. There was a lot of difficulty finding the right animals and getting export permits. 33 Bactrian camels were purchased, and they were put aboard the Navy storeship USS Supply. Only one of them didn't survive the three-month journey, but there were three more born along the way, so they gained two. Nice. The camels were taken to San Antonio, Texas, where they were put through some small field tests to confirm the transporting abilities of the camels and their superiority over horses and mules. The camels' temperament and smell were kind of challenges to overcome for the soldiers that were training them, but the camels were working out really, really well. We don't have an army of camels in the United States ready to defend the country today. So what happened? Yeah. In 1857, the United States got a new president, James Buchanan, and a new Secretary of War. And camels were still being used by the army. They were breeding, they continued to be working out really, really well. Then, the Civil War happened. Oh dear. Yeah, so a herd of camels was kind of moved from post to post for their safety. The Union Army got a hold of some of the camels, they were really not nice to animals. But they, they got them to a safe place. They were kept well-fed. They continued to breed. But nobody really knew what to do with them because the soldiers that did know what to do with them were in a different place. So there right. was a bunch of soldiers that just had camels. They didn't know what to do with them. There was a new Secretary of War, like I said. He was completely unaware of the many successful tests that the camels were able to perform, the, the things that they were able to do. He said, I cannot ascertain that these have ever been so employed as to be of any advantage to military service, and I do not think that it will be practical to make them useful. Hmm. So by 1866, there were more than 70 camels. They were auctioned off, and those camels ended up in circuses, giving rise to children, living on private ranches, or working as pack animals for miners and prospectors. Some of those animals became feral, but not enough to establish a breeding population. There are camels, as we said at the outset in the news, there, there are some camels in the United States, but, but not very many. It was never officially designated as the U.S. Army Camel Corps, but uh, that's how it's remembered. Yeah. And it was an experiment that was going really, really well until it was kind of ignored and abandoned because a war happened and people didn't know what to do with them. Huh. Yep. So if it weren't for the Civil War, we might have a, we might have an army of camels. You just never know. You never know. Well, interestingly enough, I got a visit from Cotton Shorts today, and he brought his brother Linen Shorts along with him. Oh. Yeah, his brother told me that there is actually a movie called Humps, which is about this particular incident, the U.S. Yes. Army Camel Corps. So Humps. I had never, I didn't even look see that when I was looking around for pop culture. So, you know, maybe we'll do some, find a link to that, and you guys can go check that out too. Yep. Old 70s movie. H-A-W-M-P-S. Ex exclamation mark. Homps. 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 Thank you for that. Lennon Shorts. It was nice to see you. Thank you, All Lennon right. Shorts. We're going to talk about the camel population of Australia. <laughs> How the heck did they get there? Well, I will tell you. 
So early on in Australia's colonization, people wanted to, of course, map the place out. And the distances in Australia are really long and it's super arid in a lot of it. So they said, let's get some camels. And they all, everyone thought that was a great idea. So they did. And from 1872 to about 1920, about 20,000 camels were brought in to Australia. Wow. There is a book about the impact all of this made on Australia's society called Australia's Muslim Cameliers, Pioneers of the Inland, 1860s to 1930s. One of the authors of this book said that the camels and their handlers need to be properly recognized for their significant role in the development of the Australian economy. This is a quote from the article. The Cameliers open lines of supply, transport, and communication between isolated settlements, making the economic development of arid Australia possible. They also enriched the cultural landscape. So basically, without the Cameliers, economic development in Australia at that time would have been a lot slower, because you, you wouldn't have been able to get through the place as quickly, right? With horses right. and stuff, you've got to really establish a settlement and, and get you know, water and everything going to there and and all of that kind of stuff. And then you got to do the mapping and all of that other stuff. And it just would have been super, super slow. I'll read another little paragraph from the article for you. Yeah. So laden camels became a fixture of outback life. They carried wool and water, telegraph poles and railway sleepers, tea and tobacco. Aboriginal people began to incorporate camel hair into their artifacts. Even today, the luxury train that runs vertically across the country between Adelaide and Darwin is named the Gan, in honor of the Cameliers, who came to be referred to generically as Afghans. Oh, I guess wow. it's the Gan, the Gan, I guess is how it's pronounced. Yeah. So, as you can probably guess, this state of affairs was not to last. Can you guess what <laughs> killed it? I'm going to guess uh, the automobile. Yep, motorized transport murdered the camel industry. (laughs) Oh, no. And by 1930, the broke owners released thousands of them into the wild. Oh, no. Yeah. But uh, all is not well. Australia had a serious camel problem for some time, and the animals themselves may come across as gentle, lackadaisical beasts, but good luck telling that to the outback community whose fences they routinely destroy, whose pipes (laughs) they break, and whose water holes they drink dry. They also have a profound bearing on native wildlife, stripping their traditional grazing lands bare. In the words of modern-day explorer Simon Reeve, camels are almost uniquely brilliant at surviving the conditions in the outback and introducing them was short-term genius and long-term disaster. (laughs) Oh, no. So there's still a bunch of camels in Australia today. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, boy. Here's more from the article. Drastic measures have been employed to curb the population. It was reported in late 2013 that the government-funded Australian Feral Camel Management Project had culled around 160,000 camels in the years since 2009, usually by gunshot. Unsurprisingly, this blunt approach has been heavily criticized by some and there have been attempts to turn the country's influx of wild camels into a positive. And one example is the news article that we referenced at the top of the show, the camel dairy farm. But the future of the animal there is uncertain and nobody really knows what to do about it anyway. So I will put the link to the whole article, which is pretty long, but a really good read in our show notes. And you can go take a look at the pictures and all that kind of stuff. But yes, camels in Australia. And you take an animal out of its native 
habitat and you put it somewhere else, it's nothing is nothing good is going to come from that. Almost nothing good is going to come from that. Yeah, it's it's a problem, but it's unfortunately it's something that we just sort of have to deal with and the damage is kind of done and there's so yeah. many of them. They just really don't know what to do. Gosh, so. Australia between the camels and the cane toads. <laughs> yeah, I know. Holy. It's crazy. Completely crazy. But yeah, there that's why there are camels in Australia. Do, 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 do. Hey, if you are listening and you are in Australia and you see a camel, take a picture of it and send it to us. Do it. We want to see it. We want to see the feral yeah. camels in your backyard. <laughs> well, that has been our podcast for today. Matthew Chomo provides our technical support. Our bed music is by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent is by Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Jennifer Chomo, Justine and Santiago, and Stacy and Frosty. And now it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat eight years of age or younger that wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it super easy for you and your Rugrat to hear their voice on the podcast. So who do we have this week? This week we have Noah. Noah has something to say about camels. Yay! Hey Noah, do you know anything about camels? No. You don't know anything about camels? It has a hump. It does have a hump. We talked about the hump yesterday. Remember what's inside the hump? Mm-mm. Fat. Fat. They store fat inside the hump. Fat inside the hump. Look at that. Oh, one hump. One? I saw there was two humps. Sometimes there's two humps. <laughs> what else can you say about them? That's a white one and that's a brown one. Yeah, wow. so, so they come in different colors. Huh? Yeah. Oh, and, look over there. What can you say about the camel's face? Um, it didn't have small eyes like guys. Did you know that camels can spit? <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> camels are your favorite kind of cigarettes, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, no. Can we go play now? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you, Noah. Thanks, Noah. Noah's my spirit animal, I think. <laughs> what? Wow. What? Really? Wow. <laughs> and that other voice you heard was our buddy Toph. He runs the Gravity Beard podcast, which is wonderful. And thank you, Toph. Thank you, Noah. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, everybody, again for listening. And until next time. Be nice to animals. Don't Botox your camels. No. <laughs> no. That's, that doesn't count as being nice to animals. No, they'll make this sound. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. My mouth just got really dry there all of a sudden. (laughs) Better stick some LaCroix in there. (laughs) How did you know? I don't know. (laughs) So a company called Desert Farms was the first in the United States to to grant... A company called Desert Farms was the first in the United States to be granted a USD like. It's gonna be one of those episodes, is it? A company called Desert Farms was the first in the United States to be granted a USD. Why? Why did I make tongue twisters for myself? I do not know. $25 a month or more? Boy, oh boy.
Why don't we three. pause and you put some LaCroix in your face and I will go okay. put this cat in okay. the Fortress of Catitude because he's out there going, meow. So I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs>